All right, if you have a Bible, open it up to Ephesians chapter 4. Heavenly Father, as we open up to the Word of God, I pray you would open up our hearts and open up our spirits to receive the fresh encouragement and the fresh joy that you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Martin Luther King Jr. was one of the most famous, one of the most amazing men of the 20th century. In fact, many of us only know him by the day that we get off in January, honoring his birthday, uh, where we get a, a day off. But the fact of the matter is, Martin Luther King was able to touch the heart of a nation through nonviolent protests to end the ungodly segregation that existed in this country as late as 55 years ago. And as amazing as Martin Luther King Jr. was, very little, very few people know anything about his dad. Now, what do you think his dad's name was? Martin Luther King Sr. I know, when I do this with the youth, they're like, uh, Mark? Bob? You know, I mean, <laughs> Martin Luther King Jr. Anyway, all right, you get it. But anyway, so Martin Luther King Sr. Uh, was probably just as amazing as Martin Luther King Jr. was, although his story is far less known. Growing up in Georgia, uh, he witnessed lynchings. When he tried to vote in Atlanta, the voting office, the voting box, was on the second floor. The stairwell was closed, and the elevator said whites only, so he was denied his right to vote for many years. Uh, but in spite of all these struggles, Martin Luther King Sr., he married a godly woman, and he raised a very devout Christian family, Baptist family. Who served, and he served faithfully in his church for many, many years up until his death in the, I believe, in the early 1980s. His son, his famous son, Martin Luther King Jr., uh, became a pastor. But Martin Luther King Jr. was gunned down, I believe, in the state of Tennessee in 1968. Uh, he was assassinated. Now, what many people don't realize is that six years later, while Mar Martin Luther King Sr. was at the pulpit leading worship, and his wife was in the choir. There was a one of the first active shooter cases in America in churches. His wife was gunned down by a gunman in 1974. So here this man loses his one of his sons. I don't know if he had other sons, so I, I'll just say his son. And his wife within a six-year span. And it's what he said about those experiences in 1982 that I think really kind of introduces our topic this morning. He said this, he said, They tell me that there are two men that I have every right to hate, that I am supposed to hate, that it'll be good for me to hate them. One is a white man, the other is a black man. And both are serving time for committing murder. He said, I tell you this morning, I don't hate either one because nothing that a man does makes himself lower as a human being than when he allows himself to hate. Now, I thought of all the things that Martin Luther King Jr. went. So few people know the story of Martin Luther King Sr. And yet he was a man who practiced what he preached. His famous quote that very few people attribute to him was simply, forgiven people forgive people and so this morning we're going to be talking about our final 
promise for the pandemic, the answer to gossip and hatred. Because you see, to hate, to hate is to live in the past and to dwell on something that's already been done to you. It kind of keeps you in emotional park and beckons you to say, stay stuck in life right at that moment. Hatred is one of the most damaging emotions, as psychologists and counselors will tell us, because it really gives that person a double victory. Once in the past, however they hurt or abused you, and then once in the present, by having hatred consume you. Forgiving does not mean whitewashing the past. I don't want you to get that from me at all. Sometimes you have to draw boundaries. And sometimes you have to have certain things that you do moving forward in a relationship. Forgiveness does not mean whitewashing the past, but it does mean that you refuse to live there. As costly as it is to forgive, unforgiveness costs far more and takes from you more than you could ever imagine. While few of us will take our hatred to the extreme of killing other people, the most common form of hatred that we have comes through our words. Even Jesus recognized that in Matthew chapter 5, 22. He says, but I say to you, whoever insults his brother will be in the danger of the council. Law. He says, but whoever says to his brother, you fool, Jesus says, is in danger of the fires of hell. Jesus recognized that our words, how we speak and how we communicate, either breed life or death, either are pulling us to heaven or pushing us back down toward hell. And so the eighth promise for the pandemic is simply that the answer for gossip and hatred is forgiveness. It's forgiveness. It's a big word. It's a word that I think it'll take me the rest of my life to understand. There's so many layers to it. But I can tell you this. Animals do not forgive. Part of what makes us in the image of God is human beings. We can forgive. Amen? So this morning, I'm going to r- go right into our take-home with my first point. My first point is this. And we're going to be reading out of Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to do this a little more expository this morning. For those of you who like the expository method, we're going to exposit that's the verb. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 to 32. My first point is this. Your words are either growing you or they're killing you. Your words, they're either growing you as a person or they're killing you. Ephesians 4, 29 says this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that for which is helpful in the building up of others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who are listening to you. What is unwholesome talk? Vulgarity, obscenity, racial or ethnic insults, humor that devalues another person, harsh words, mean-spirited comments, false accusations or false exaggerations, spreading rumors, publicly criticizing your spouse or your family, yelling, screaming, publicly embarrassing people, saying something mean, and then going, oh, but I was only joking. But most importantly, gossiping about another. Now, I think it's safe to say everybody in the room here has at least one of those, right? (laughs) 
So this, this message is going to apply to all of us as much as to me as anybody else. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says, the tongue has the power of both life and death. By the way, that's not just some colorful metaphor. I believe that is actually real. The tongue has the power of both life and death. Romans 3.13 says, the throat is an open grave. The Bible does not have a very good view of human speech because we're so prone to this unwholesome talk that Paul is talking about. When there's death on the inside, when there's death on the inside, it will eventually show up in your words. I remember once I was talking to a friend, and uh, this is one of my great struggles. I think because my job and my career and many of the things I do in life involve talking to people, involve speaking, it is one of the areas I feel most attacked by the enemy, and it's one of the areas in which I have to apologize the most for my words. And one time I was with a friend, and I was just in a fleshy moment. I don't know. I just felt like being a turd, and I felt like saying whatever I want to say, and I felt like wanting my words to make me feel better. So I just talk, and I just start sarcastically talking about a mutual friend of ours. Now, you can always tell by the silence of the other person when they don't join in with you. Uh-oh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they didn't think that was funny. They weren't taking that as a joke. And by the way, Tom, that was not a joke. That was actually kind of mean. And I could tell by the look on his face, I had horrified him. It was as if I stole his innocence because I was his pastor. And I remember he gave me this look like, you know what? I expect this from the world. But I didn't expect this from you. You were the one person I counted on to show us all how to talk and how to speak. Pastor, how could you? Did he say all that? No, he didn't have to. I could see it, the truth of it in his eyes, and I knew I had blown it. Now, I'm human, and I make mistakes, and I have no problem airing my mistakes out in front of you. I think that we identify far more in our weaknesses sometimes than in our strengths. But it was what he said next that really stuck with me. He said, Pastor, when I'm not around, do you talk about me like that? Oh, man. That's why you don't do it, Tom. I just wanted to hit myself on the head or find a wall to just bang my head into for a while. I mean, there's no answer to that, you know, because I had obviously just vomited all this verbal diarrhea all over this guy. And there's no taking it back. And I remember I asked for his forgiveness, and I went home that night just realizing how humbled I was once again that our words are powerful. They carry life and death in them. Now, he forgave me, and we moved on. But more than any other sin, especially as I get older, this is the one that, that I seem to fight the most, and maybe you do too. And I have to find when I thought about that later, why was I being sarcastic about that guy? There was something he had done to me I hadn't forgiven him for. Uh, too chicken to do it in front of his face, so what do I get? A mutual friend, and I start to in front of his face. You know what? I, w I wanted him to agree with me, so we could both be da 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 and he's the schmuck. Who was the schmuck? I was the schmuck. 
I was the schmuck. And that day, my words weren't growing me. They were killing me. That's point number one. Point number two, your words are either unifying or dividing. In Ephesians 4.30, Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. If you have trusted in Jesus and you have received the Holy Spirit inside your heart, he has sealed that. And on the day of redemption, you are sealed. It's, it's Call it insurance if you want. Call it whatever you want. You are sealed for the day of redemption. If Jesus comes back tomorrow, boom, that seal's going to pop open and you are redeemed with him. Probably at around 30,000 feet. And so our harsh words literally make God grieve. Because you see, the Holy Spirit not only lives in you, but lives in the other brother or sister you might be gossiping about. So God's not into that. God's not into our sides. For God, there's only one side, his side. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't live in that person, the Holy Spirit wants to. If that person isn't a believer, the Holy Spirit wants to live in that heart. You gossiping about them is going to do nothing for the witness of Jesus to that person. If you know Jesus, you've just hurt someone who is filled with God's Spirit. And if they don't know Jesus, you have, may have made it so that they probably never will or never want to. Who wants to join a church or a movement of Jesus that once you do, you, you enter into the gossip arena? Forget it. So, now by the way, this does not mean that we will never say anything hard to anyone. As I wrote this message, I read it and reread it, I, I really felt God saying, now Tom, balance this a little bit, because there were some times that Jesus said some hard things to people, but they were meant to help them, not to hurt them. In fact, if you look in the book of Proverbs, one of the best Proverbs, Proverbs 27, 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Sometimes friends have to wound each other for healing. I once had a friend that I had to actually say, you know what, I don't think I'll be a good friend for you. And here's why. I was always very open and honest. If there's anything that bugs me, I'll just say it right away. But he was more the passive-aggressive type. I knew he had feelings, but he never shared them. I knew there were things in our interaction that probably bothered him, but he never said it. And I could feel he'd never say it. And I felt it so much where finally I just began to feel uncomfortable around him. And I started hanging out with him less and less and less and less because I never felt like he was honest. I want a faithful friend to wound me and to tell it like it is. So long as their motive is to help me and not to hurt me. Amen? <laughs> Somebody said we'll do it. <laughs> After the service, please. All right. <laughs> Point number three. Your words reveal your heart. Your words reveal your heart. Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. Bible says get it, get it away from you. Get rid of it. Get away from it. Avoid it like the plague. Get run from it if you have to. Because these wrong attitudes, they corrode the soul from the inside out and you don't even see it. But subtly and subtly and subtly and subtly, you're becoming a grumpy old man or a grumpy old woman. 
And people begin to not trust your word so much because what's corroding on the inside is eventually going to be coming on the outside. That's why the Bible says, renew your mind by reading the word. And as we read the word, it begins to put Pepsi on that corrosion. And then it begins to scrape it off. So you got a nice, clean heart battery terminal. If we dwell on bitterness, <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> if we dwell on bitterness long enough, it'll produce an unhealthy, emotionally wounded spirit. You know, one of the things I often think about, when they crucified Jesus, think about it. They got what they wanted, right? They were shouting to Pontius Pilate, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate says, all right, I'll crucify him. You know what the thing that bothers me the most, that fills me with rage when I read the story? Crucifying Jesus wasn't enough. While he's dragging the cross, while he's hanging on the cross, do you know what his enemies continue to do? They're hurling insults at him. They're slandering him. They're gossiping him. This guy, they got what they want. He's, he's hours away from death. But their words were revealing their heart. Jesus was not crucified by honorable men. He was not given over by men who had the heart of God. See, their words were revealing their heart. He was given over by men filled with darkness and hatred, unforgiveness. And every time I slander, every time I cut someone with my words, I get this little picture in my head of those people cutting and slandering Jesus. And I say to myself, no, Lord, no. I don't want to be like them. I don't want to be like them. I mean, I can be like them. Trust me, I can be like them. This week I was like them, but I did not want to be like them. God, whatever it takes, however much conviction you've got to pour on me every day, do not abandon this work of my heart. I do not want to be like them. They got what they want, and they still had to stick it to them with the words. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. An unguarded heart can be a wellspring of death. And then finally, number four, we speak to others what God has spoken over us, spoken over us, right? It's like what MLK Sr. said. Forgiven people forgive people. The kindness, Ephesians 4.32, let's read the scripture, sorry. Paul finishes this paragraph with, so be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Paul says it very clearly, forgive each other just as Jesus forgave you. The kindness and compassion that God is talking about here is not for the people who are nice to you. It's easy to be kind and compassionate to the people who are nice to you. It's easy to love those who love you. The forgiveness that God is talking about here are the people who provoke you to anger and devalue you as a, humor, uh, as a human and spread disrespect all over you. Because you see, forgiveness starts from God. 
comes down to us and then goes to other people. We forgive as God has forgiven us. We extend the grace to others, the same grace that has been extended to us. Now, sometimes that grace has to have boundaries. Sometimes that grace has to have the faithful wounds of a friend. Sometimes that grace has to have the hard conversations. I'm not saying that this is a license where, uh, you know, you just take on the chin everything that comes your way. No, you do have to be able to communicate well. But there's a difference in communicating and speaking the truth in love as opposed to speaking the truth from a heart of hatred and unforgiveness to hurt. That's the difference. I would say this is my 21st year now of full-time ministry. And uh, you do not, you're never a leader of anything over that amount of time, 20, you know, two decades now. You don't become a leader of anything without making some enemies along the way. You may say the pastor has enemies. Uh, I don't mean those kind of enemies, not the enemies that want to shoot me. At least I don't think. But <laughs> they haven't yet. But the kind of enemies where God will say to me, you know what, you need to be honest with this woman or honest with this man and, and, and say what you know you need to say. Teach them biblical principles. Those biblical principles, they may not go against what they're thinking right now, but Tom, you've, you, everybody else has been passive-aggressive with them. Tom, you've got to be honest with them. So sometimes I'll sit them down and I'll say, you know what, I really feel like the Lord wants to share this with you, and I, as I've seen and I've watched some things, I, I want to bring some correction. I want to bring some warning. Now, if they're humble and they're ready to receive it, it deepens our friendship. I become even more a trusted pastor in their life. And for the rest of our relationship, they'll check in with me like, hey, am I doing that? Hey, you know, they'll, I mean, they'll, you know, am I getting better? <laughs> okay. But then there's the ones who won't take that. And now all of a sudden, they're mad. What do you know? Who do you think you are? Who gave you the right to tell me that? And all of a sudden, first they're gone from the church. But then the emails come, the texts come, the, the, the gossip through other people, you know. And it just begins to keep that cycle going and going and going. And here's the thing. Eventually, I try to talk to these people. And this is where I'm most tested. Will I approach them with forgiveness? Or will I approach them with vindication? By the way, sometimes forgiveness can be its own vindication. But you know what I mean with revenge. And before I go into any one of those meetings, I don't even take them until this is right. It takes time sometimes. One time it took me two years. In my last church in Tacoma, something had happened. I could not, with a pure heart, face a certain person because I couldn't get over something that happened for two years. And I faithfully prayed about it for two years. And finally, something lifted, and we were able to have that meeting. But I hope you see what I'm getting at. The point is, our words are either growing us or killing us. And I don't know about you, but I want to continue to grow. I don't want to die slowly. I want to grow straight into heaven and not miss a beat. Amen? Let me tell you one final story. Uh, there's a book by... A pa Pastor Richard Wormbrand, he was uh, in communist Romania in the 50s and 60s, 
uh, under the Iron Curtain. And he wrote a book called Tortured for Christ. And he's got about 26, 27 stories in there of Christians who endured the communist rule during the Cold War as they were persecuted and locked up. And he, one of those 20-some-odd stories was about a man named Dimitri in Romania. He said that Dimitri was imprisoned in Romania for his Christian faith and that as part of his punishment, because he was, I don't know, particularly outspoken, whatever, one of the guards, instead of beating them with the usual stick that he did, he went ahead and found a hammer. Now, I don't know about you. I could be beat with a lot of things, but the thought of being beaten with a hammer, I mean, that just sounds particularly hideous. So they beat this healthy man with a hammer. And within 45 minutes, they left him a quadriplegic. They had busted his spine in so many places that he could no longer move his arms or his legs. That's how severely he was beaten. And he was still in this communist prison, paralyzed uh, and almost immobile. And so the other prisoners... They would kind of cared for him as best that they could, but they had duties to do all day long. And so Dimitri would often lay all day long for hours, unfed and in his own waste and filth, waiting and hoping for these other prisoners to come back and help him. And of course, some days they didn't. Some days they just kind of left him in the corner, ignored him because they just didn't want to deal with it. They were too tired from the labor camp that they were in. Well, uh, one day, they just decided, you know, they, they, I don't know, out of grace or mercy or whatever, they released Dimitri because they didn't want him around anymore. And so they sent him and they shipped him back home. And there he was. All he could do was kind of talk and barely move. But he was, what he was doing is he was talking to a person who would type. And he was typing out uh, Christian messages, Christian sermons, uh, Christian uh, newsletters and things like that. And uh, trying to get them out and all he, all he had left was his voice. But that's all God needed, amen? One day, there's a knock at the door. The guard that beat him with a hammer was on the other side of it. So his family wheeled Dimitri to the door because the guard said he wanted to tell him something. And his family was expecting maybe that he was there to ask for forgiveness. And the communist who had crippled him said, sir... Don't believe for a moment that I have come to ask for forgiveness from you. For what I have done, there is no forgiveness, not on earth or in heaven. You are not the only one I have tortured like this. You cannot forgive me. Nobody can forgive me, not even God. My crime is too great. I have only come to tell you that I am sorry about what I have done. And after you, I am going to go and hang myself. That is all. And he turned to leave. The paralyzed Dimitri said to him, Sir, in all of these years, I have not been so sorry as I am now that I cannot move my arms and my legs. For if I could, I would stand up and reach out and hug you and hold you and tell you so that you could see the truth of it in my eyes. That I love you with all my heart. And that I forgive you for what you have done to me.
some point in life, faith will be put to the test. And then we must ask the question, how much do we really want to be like Jesus? How much do we really want to follow him? Jesus was a forgiving man who came to create a race of forgiving men and forgiving women. If you want to know what love is like, if you want to know what true power is like, if you want to know what freedom looks like, and close your minds, close your eyes, open your minds, close your minds, close your eyes, <laughs> and see Jesus on the cross. That's true power. That's true love. Do you know why Jesus was on the cross? Not because we put him there. Jesus voluntarily submitted to his father's wishes. He voluntarily submitted to that. Because he loved the father. And he knew that by doing that, he could create a race of forgiving men and forgiving women. So look at Jesus on the cross. Stare at him. And then go and do for others what Christ has done for you. Amen? Before we close this morning, there may be people, there may be tons of people, you just can't seem to get past, can't seem to get over. They hurt you when you were little. They hurt you when you were big. You may not see it. Trust me, others do. It ekes out of you in ways that you're blinded to, but everybody else can see. The antidote, well, could be years of therapy. But perhaps there's another way. Perhaps the antidote of Christ Jesus. True forgiveness being able to pray and release the hatred. Releasing it to Jesus, releasing it to God, and beginning to pray for those who hurt you. I wouldn't say I'm totally there yet. I hope to get there someday where my reflex with every one of my enemies is to pray for them. Right now, I think my reflex is first to want to hurt back. Age and maturity helps me restrain that. But I would love to get my heart to a place where I'm so like Jesus that when I am hurt, I can be like what Jesus said on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If this applies to you, go ahead and put your hand on your heart and repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, help me to forgive as I have been forgiven. And Lord, help me to have no unwholesome talk come out of my mouth, but to have words of life, words of peace, words of the gospel, words of the Bible, words of heaven 
flow through my lips, bringing the power of God here on earth. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to forgive and to live forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen.